And as you're seated, children, you can be released. You'll see Miss Jenny and my beautiful daughter in the back there as you make your way. And then if the rest of us, if you will turn with me to Mark chapter 10 as we continue in our study through the gospel of Mark. We began our study through Mark's gospel the first week in January, and we've been slowly making our way through this gospel because it's, it's our desire that we typically preach through books of the Bible. This helps in, in numerous ways because one, the Bible says that all of Scripture is breathed out by God, that it's useful for us in, in teaching, in, in rebuking us, in, in correcting us, and in training us in, in how to walk in the righteousness of God, that all of Scripture is beneficial. And, and what helps as we go through books of the Bible together, it means that when we gather together, it's not just so I can stand up here and give you my opinion on life, because nobody needs that. What we need is to together, gather together under the authority of God's Word, Surrender to what He says. Surrender to His authority. That's what we desperately need. And and what happens is as we go through books of the Bible, it also means that we come to hard passages that you can't just skip and say, actually, I don't want to have to talk about that on a Sunday morning. Let's go on to something more fun. Today, we find ourselves into one of those harder passages. Jesus is going to be teaching on marriage, on divorce, on remarriage. It it can be a, a topic that is hard for many because of personal experiences presently or in the past in in wrestling with that, but it is also a good and beneficial topic for us to talk about and to hear what Jesus has to say. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves this morning. And as I've prayed through this passage, I've had two convictions that have guided how I want to approach this this morning. And the first is that, and the priority is, would be that we look at this text with a biblical faithfulness. Not softening things of what might make us uncomfortable, but let God's word speak. And let's be true and faithful to what he has to say to us this morning. I also want to have a pastoral empathy that looks at the reality of sin and brokenness that we have all experienced and has been experienced even in our marriages, that there is an awareness of that, and even that we can bring under the authority of God's Word and His grace and mercy. And so I want to begin by reading the first 12 verses of chapter 10 to pray and then to jump into the text together. So beginning in Mark chapter 10, verse 1. And he, being Jesus, left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. And crowds gathered to him again and again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test Jesus, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And he answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. 
And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. And he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning to together to surrender ourselves under the authority of your word. Lord, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you are saying this morning, Lord? Would you bend our hearts toward you? Lord, help us to see the weightiness and the command and the the call that you have given and designed marriage to be. Help us to understand the hardness in our own heart and what it means to look to you and you alone for grace and mercy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to understand that as we approach this topic, that there was a cultural atmosphere that these words are being spoken into, right? Like the, the Pharisees are coming to Jesus, and they're, and they're asking him the question of saying, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And, and the reason why they're asking this question is because there is this cultural atmosphere, both historically present in the culture and religiously, there's a debate that's happening divorce, remarriage, all of this is playing out in the tabloids. King Herod actually had divorced his first wife, took for himself a second wife who was the wife of his half-brother and also his niece, and married her. John the Baptist, if you remember when we talked about him, was speaking against this. As this is playing out in all the tabloids, he said, this is wrong. This isn't right. They got furious with him, had him imprisoned, and ultimately had him beheaded. This is is the context that's happening culturally. Then, religiously, there's this climate that's happening where there was two schools of thought that were debating one another that we understand through the historical document from the first century called the Mishnah. That there was two different rabbinic uh, schools. One was from the Shammai, and the other was from Hillel. Now, Shammai looked, and they were both looking at the exact same passage, but they were interpreting it completely different to ask the question, is it lawful for, for uh, couples to divorce? And if so, why? How? The, in the Mishnah, in the house of Shammai, it says that a man should divorce his wife only because he has found grounds for it in unchastity. Both of these, if you see it up on the screen, is from Deuteronomy 24. This is the passage that they were debating. When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, he writes her a certificate of divorce. Now, the context of this was more of civil law and how dowries happen between marriages was the context of this. But they're just looking at this passage, and they're saying, under what circumstances does Moses say you can divorce. The house of Shammai was like, only if a man finds some reason of unchastity. The house of Hillel, though, was more liberal. This was the more popular school of thought at the time. And they said they had a much broader reading of it. In the Mishnah, it says that even if she spoiled his dish, if she bought, like burns dinner, overcooks the pasta, You can give her a certificate of divorce because, it says, because he has found in her indecency in anything. 
you can just give a certificate of divorce. Rabbi Akaba, who was also part of the house of Hillel, says, even if he found someone else prettier than she, because the text says, and it shall be if she finds no favor in his eyes. And so they had a very broad understanding of when can you divorce. And so there was these two competing ideas, and what the, the religious leaders are doing is they're planting a landmine in the path of Jesus. They're not asking a question for clarity. This isn't some sincere question so that they can teach appropriately. It says that they ask the question to test him, to put a landmine, hoping that he steps on it and it blows up in his face, causing division, causing him to be rejected. And so this is why they were asking the question. I think it's important for us, even as we approach this conversation this morning and what Jesus says about marriage and divorce and remarriage, that we understand for ourselves what is the, the cultural atmosphere in which this conversation is happening. Because there is one culturally and religiously that is playing out even as we talk about this. There is a cultural climate that views marriage as nothing more than a contract between two people for the sake of legal benefits, so that you can file joint taxes, so that you can get a death notification at the hospital. Marriage is reduced to a legal standing within the culture. It's minimized. to It can be discarded easily and quickly. You, you go to a, a cross-section. And you, you've seen those signs that say divorce, $99. It's like we run sales on them. This is how our culture, it's like the, the house of Hillel, for whatever reason. But there's also this mentality in the world that is also seeping into the church. One of self-fulfillment. It's like I just need this for myself to be who I'm really meant to be. One example of this that, that demonstrates the world's mentality of marriage and divorce can be found in John Adams and Nancy Williamson's book, Divorce, How and When to Let Go. This is how the world talks about marriage and divorce. Your marriage can wear out. People change their values and lifestyles, they say. People want to experience new things. Change is a part of life. Change and personal growth are traits for you to be proud of and indicative of a vital searching mind. You must accept the reality that in today's multifaceted world, it is especially easy for two persons to grow apart. Letting go of your marriage, if it is no longer fulfilling can be the most successful thing you have ever done. Getting a divorce can be a positive, problem-solving, growth-oriented step. It can be a personal triumph. I want to be clear. This is how the world regards marriage and divorce. And it is seeping into the church. I've heard from, from others where, where, where they'll say, I know it's God's will for me to get a divorce because I'm so happy now. Like, I've had this time apart, and now I feel like I'm growing, I feel more fulfilled, there's no more conflict, so obviously this is God's will for my life, right? And they justify their personal desires, but in compromise, the teachings of Scripture, Scripture, 
for the sake of their own fulfillment. This is the cultural context. And we have churches and denominations who will quickly and easily, just for any reason, discard marriage. And so even for us, there's a context into which Jesus was speaking, but there's also a context into which he speaks today that we need to hear. And, and there needs to be an application for us to even say, what, what is the basis of our theological and moral convictions? Is it going to be my feelings, what's internal, what's comfortable, what's easy? Is it going to be some external thing, some book we read, some, what a counselor says, what even good-meaning Christian friends may counsel? Are we going to listen to these external things, or will we surrender to the teaching of God's Word? Will we say, what does He have to say? And am I willing to surrender to that even if it's hard? That's my prayer for us this morning. And I want us to see how Jesus continues. The question he asks. I always love how Jesus asks a question. They bring a question to him, but he doesn't just give them an answer because, quite honestly, they don't want an answer. They just want to trap him. And so Jesus says, well, what command did Moses give you? First, he's pointing them back to Scripture. He's like, what did Moses command? But then there's also this curious thing that's important for us to pay attention to. The word Jesus uses. What does Moses command? Well, divorce is never commanded in Scripture. And so the religious leaders catch this. And in verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Divorce was an allowance of man, but it was never commanded by God. And this is where we see then Jesus respond in verse 5, because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. Here, Jesus departs from both sides of, is he going to side with the house of Hillel or the house of Shammai? Like, what are the grounds for divorce? And he steps back from that whole conversation. And he says, you guys are looking for exception clauses. But I'm telling you, the only reason that you're looking for those exception clauses is because of the sin in your own heart. This is not how it was meant to be. It, divorce exists because of hard hearts. And then he's going to go on to say, then what was the created order? But I think in this, we need to ask ourselves this question. Are we minimizing God's view of marriage for our own personal convenience? See, as we come into, what's the motivation of us asking the question? Because in the midst, if you're going through a very difficult time, in your marriage right now, you could be looking for the exit door, right? Like, what is that exception clause? How can I get out of this? That is the danger that begins to seep in, and then, and, and then we begin to back away. But here we see that, and what we're going to see in what follows is that this was never part of God's created order. In fact, Malachi tells us how God hates divorce. 
In Malachi 2, it says, you cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? But I'll tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her. Though she remained faithful to you, the wife of your marriage vows, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and in spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to your wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart and do not be unfaithful to your wife. When people come, and if there is ever a temptation to come and say, well, I know God wants me to divorce my spouse because it just feels right, because I'm so much happier now that we've been separated. I want you to hear me saying this. That is not God's will. It has been allowed. There are allowances that are talked about because it happens. And there are ways in which Jesus put parameters to ensure the care and protection of the spouse. It exists because of sin and the hardness of our own hearts. And Jesus then is going to proclaim what he does believe of marriage. He's not going to start to answer their questions about, okay, you you can get divorced if here's your exception clause or here's your exception clause, but rather he is going to state why marriage was created. And we see this when it says, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus is going back to the beginning, and there's four principles I want to highlight in what Jesus says here. Four things that I think that we can easily take away. The first is that marriage is part of God's created order. Like, can we say this? In in part of like Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God is the one who created and instituted marriage. It wasn't an afterthought, but it was part of God's intentional design. It is to be valued, cherished. It is a purposeful aspect of God's creation for all people. It is not just for its legal benefits, for convenience, or how we file taxes, or who can visit who at a hospital. Marriage was created for and by God. Marriage, the second principle, is between one biological male and one biological female. God made them male and female. Our culture wants to redefine gender. Our culture also then minimizes the institution of marriage, calling it just a basic human right for legal purposes. What I want us to hear and see in Jesus' words is that it is more than that. 
And it was created to be between a man and a woman. Marriage, the third principle, unifies two individuals into one body and one spirit. Marriage is, is consummated through physical intimacy, representing the spiritual unity that God has called. This is why, why we say sex outside of marriage is wrong. Not that sex is wrong. God created it. But it is meant to be the, the bond in, in what seals the covenant before God when He declares us unified with someone. This is why it's in that context. Marriage unifies a man and a woman together. And the fourth principle is that marriage is an act of God, not a declaration of man. See, sometimes we can read this statement and we can almost think it, it, it sounds so familiar because of our, our wedding ceremonies. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Right? Like I've declared that as I've performed marriage ceremonies for, for people. And it, and it kind of becomes a statement. But when we step back and think about what this means, what God has joined together, what that means is what has unified you before God is not the marriage license you signed for the local county clerk. Marriage is something that is declared and instituted by God in the heavens. It is a covenant that two people make before God and He's the one who's holding this together. So let man not separate. This means when it comes to, to, to Moses and, and what's allowed, what was permitted because of sin, wasn't giving the command that it's okay, but it was just saying, because of sin, this is happening. And to not be cruel to your spouse and to make sure that they're taken care of. And so there were allowances that were given, but never because it was commanded by God. It was only because of man's sinfulness. Let man not separate. And I think this means for both on the outside and in guarding our own hearts. When we just imagine what it would be like to run off to some new town where nobody knows us and a new name and just start over. And wouldn't that just be easier? We have to guard our own hearts to not let division begin to seep into where our heart becomes more bent to looking for that exit sign than pressing in to those difficult, hard conversations. Jesus' response shows us his heart for marriage. When asked about divorce, when asked about what are the exception clauses, can I, can't us, I want us to feel what Jesus said. But I'm also aware of the context in which he said it. See, if you look at verse 1, Jesus left there and he went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Up through that verse, it, we've talked about how Jesus is talking about who he is and what it means for him to be the Messiah. 
He's already given two of the three predictions that he's going to die when he goes to Jerusalem, that he will rise again. He knows the purpose for which he's here, right? He knows what's awaiting him in Jerusalem. And in verse 1 of chapter 10 here, we see that he is taking those first steps on that journey. My prayer this morning is that that gives us hope. That I realize for some sitting here this morning, you are either presently going through very difficult circumstances in your marriage. Maybe you are the one who was unfaithful in marriage. Maybe it was a spouse who was unfaithful to you. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I've signed those divorce papers. Or I am remarried. Like, what does this mean? Am I living in sin now? There can be a brokenness and not just a conviction of sin, but a condemnation that comes with it. And a shame and this desire to just want to pull back and to hide and not tell anybody. And I want you to see that Jesus is saying these words as he's walking to Jerusalem to die on the cross. This should give us such hope. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. God has a perfect command for marriage. We, we should not minimize it. But in our own brokenness and sin and falling short, we do not need to live under the condemnation of our failures. But to see and to hear Christ is walking to Jerusalem where He knows He will be crucified. He knows He will rise again to pay the penalty for our sin. John 3.16 17 and 18. See, we know verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that He might save the world through Him. See, if we just pause there for a moment. And to think in the midst of our sin, why Christ came, why He's walking to Jerusalem is because we have sinned against God. And He came that He might forgive and save sinners. Verse 18, so whoever believes in Him is not condemned. This is a truth that needs to be proclaimed over all those who have trusted in Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, some just want to throw that out as a blanket statement. Candy for everybody. But listen to what it says. Whoever believes in Jesus is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This forgiveness is not just a blanket statement for all of culture to say, do whatever you want, live however you want. God's grace is abundant for everybody. It's saying God has 
a command. We are called to walk in it. When we fall short, we look to Christ for our forgiveness in His strength, and the newness of life in our life so that we can continue to walk in His ways, not to excuse our own sin so that grace can abound. There is a process we need to think through here to guard our own hearts according to God's Word. But I realize that Marriage is difficult. Right? Like you're putting two sinful people together under the same house and saying, work it out. My wife and I, in August, will celebrate our 25th marriage anniversary. This feels momentous to us. I think about what we've been through, the fights we've had, the marriage counseling we've set in, the date nights that have gone wrong, (laughs) the ways that we've worked through that. It has been a journey, and it still is. And even as I thought about what encouragement can be given to, to the church family, I looked to those who were further ahead. So I, I reached out to three families in the church. They've been married 40 years, 52 years. will be Bob and Coyce Young in June. They will be married for 52. Jim and Candy Fox. Um, Jim just had surgery on Friday. He's recovering, so they're not here. They are celebrating their 55th marriage anniversary in June. And so in light of God's heart, I also wanted to look at some godly wisdom. What would God lead them to say for the couples here? I asked them the first question, how, how they need it, how they have needed and experienced God's grace in their marriage. Because we can hear those numbers and we can just say, oh, they must have it easy, right? And the reality was it hasn't always been easy. They, they described difficulties in their relationship, in working together, in finances, in their own personal issues. Some shared stories of how uh, when they first said, I do, they weren't, neither of them were believers. Others said when they said, I do, they didn't even understand the weightiness of this covenant before God. It was just what it meant for them to have this personally ever after and then having to wrestle with actually what that meant, the words that were spoken. They explained how at times healing took time and it seemed like a solution wasn't anywhere in sight and it was taking so long. And yet each acknowledged this persistence of God's presence in the midst of all that, through the highs and through the lows. And so I had also asked, what advice or encouragement would they give to us from their faithfulness, from from their experience? What encouragement can we have from others who are seeking to honor God in their marriage? These are some of the things that they said. Don't stop dating. Try to plan time alone with each other at least once a week. 
This has been something Friday nights is Kirsten and I's date night that I can attest to. I need date night. It's the time at the end of the week to get away. I know it can be hard when you have young kids. Sometimes date night was going to the grocery store just to get groceries. Like date night has looked different over the years, but I just want to commend to continue to cultivate your hearts for one another. Another um, encouragement was to cultivate common interest. You will be talking to each other long after sex becomes less important. And so cultivate common interest with one another. Verbalize your thoughts. Listen and compromise. Have the hard conversations. Be truthful with one another and forgive one another. Respect each other. Resist harsh personal attacks that you can never take back. Be slow to speak and and quick to listen. Don't attack your spouse during conflict. Instead, share how you feel. Resist the the urge to, to use those you statements, that you language, which comes across as accusatory, it blames, it it assumes the other person's motivations. You always do this. You did that. You said this. But instead, try to use the I. Take responsibility for how you're feeling. Take responsibility for what you've said, for what you've done. To guard your heart from attacking one another. That marriage is hardly ever 50-50. This older lady made us a cross stitch for when Kirsten and I got married. And I remember she said this on the back. She said, it is not like ever 50-50. She's like, sometimes it'll be 90-10 and you're going to be the person carrying 90 for a while and do it. (laughs) If you just think it's going to be 50-50 through the whole marriage, there's going to be resentment when it's your turn to carry more. Pray with and for each other. When a big crisis comes along, and it will come along, you have to say, I am committed to make this marriage work even though I'm not happy right now. There's this resolute confidence and commitment. There was also the encouragement to get help immediately. Invite a stable Christian couple to mentor you when you get stuck. Don't walk it alone. This is what those who have been married 55, 52, 40 years have said. These are things that I can attest to after just 25 years and times when we've had to invite others, counselors, into our marriage to process. And that's been good and helpful because we value the marriage covenant. There is that commitment. And so I want to give some resources. I don't want to say all of this. And so what happens if you're struggling? What happens if you're sitting here and you're like, our marriage really isn't good right now. It's hurting and I don't want to look for the exit, but it's, I don't, we're stuck. I don't know where to go. I want to encourage you to to reach out for help. One way to do that is you'll see my email up on the screen. I'm not saying I'm your savior, and I'm not saying I'm the one who's going to personally walk with you through this, but I want to connect you with the help you need, that you aren't alone, 
This may be like, hey, I just need a, a, an older woman that I can talk to. I, I need an older man. I, I, as a couple, like, can I, can I talk with an older couple in the church to just walk through this? With? We have questions. We're feeling stuck. I want to help make that connection for you. Or maybe you're like, hey, we do need counseling. Not just pastoral care, but, but we need professional counseling help you get connected. We have a list of counselors that, that we recommend to help you in that, to combine with pastoral care and, pa- and professional counseling so that you are walking in health and renewal in your marriage. There's also some resources that we want to make available to you that I, I want to highlight in some, some just very practical ways. Um, we have a, a new family that, that's joining the church who serves with Family Life Ministries, and they have been extremely gracious to give us as a church some discounts on some, some great resources for you to be able to invest in your marriage. First, and, and some of you may be familiar with, is A Weekend to Remember. This is a two-and-a-half-day romantic weekend that encourages you to invest and strengthen your marriage, no matter if it's, it's firm or if it's fragile, if you feel like it's strong or, or, or you need to, that, that it's weak and it needs strengthening. That this, there's going to be one in person that's in Jacksonville on June 11th through the 13th. Space is limited because this isn't like its normal size. Um, with COVID and, and with the various precautions that they're taking with the pandemic. And so space is limited. But if you are interested, the two ways that you can get connected with this is through our webpage at xpoint.com. Uh, if you go under events, you're going to see it there. Or if you use the church center app under events there, you can also register. And there's a link there that if you use the promo code, it gives you $100 off the weekend. And I'm, I'm so thankful for Family Life Ministries um, coming alongside our congregation to help make this possible. If this is something you're interested in and, and you still can't afford, well, would you reach out to me and just let me know? We, we want to not only help couples when they're struggling and at a breaking point, but we want to invest in marriages and families to see continued growth and health. And so even if you're like, I'm not in crisis, but this, this would be beneficial for us, let me know. The other resource I want to let you know of is something new that, that's come out called Dates to Remember. This is a box of ideas over three dates. And my wife and I uh, did this uh, this year in, in the last couple months where it kind of has a game that you do. Then there's a short video that you watch, and there's some questions and discussion. It comes with a book, but it's great because date nights is part of our rhythm as a couple, and it, it gave us some intentional things to talk about and helped us through this. This is a great resource that they're also offering with um, a promo code that they've given us um, that'll give 20% off of that. It's very inexpensive, but it's a great resource if you're like, again, Here's the created call for marriage, but I'm needing to grow. The last thing I, I want to let you know of is um, there's a, a willingness to host a summer small group that would be using the material vertical uh, marriage from family life. Um, that this family's doing that may include families from Cross Point and, and other families in the community that this couple has met. And so if there is an interest in that, we don't have a date, things aren't finalized, it's a five-week 
um, small group because normally our rhythm has been here at Crosspoint to take a break during our regular rhythm of community groups during June and July. And so that this would be a great opportunity to use that to jump into one of these studies with other couples to say, I want to invest in this. My heart in saying all of this is to offer practical resources that I know marriage is not easy. This call and command that Christ gives us of the created order of marriage. And we even see that, that afterwards, the disciples come to him. It says in, in verses 10 through 12, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Like, okay, I heard what you said, Jesus, but this is hard. Like, I got some more questions about this. And, and then Jesus responds to them. And I realize that even in a message like this, there's going to be a lot of questions that can arise. And, and I debated even how to arrange today's message. How do we handle questions about the exception clause of what about for sexual immorality that we see not here in Mark, but we do see in Matthew and Luke? What does it mean for sexual immorality? How does that apply to how we understand divorce? What if there is a physical abuse or emotional abuse or sexual abuse? How do we handle that and understand? Are you saying that, that I have to stay if, if there's abuse? Or, or separation okay? And then how do we approach that? What if I've been divorced? Can, can I get remarried? What if I've been remarried? Am I living in sin? Like the questions. Do you see where I'm going? Like I want to be able to deal with all of these, but there's part of it where I want to invite you what the disciples did with Jesus. When they were in the house, they had a private conversation. What Jesus publicly declared, I believe we need to hear, but I also realize that there are personal struggles that you may be going through personally that have that raise questions. And I want to be able to speak clearly to those from God's word. And so if you do have questions, I just want to open the door for conversation, that there is not shame, that there's no need to hide, that these are deeply felt realities that Jesus does speak to with grace and mercy and clarity. And so I want to encourage us, I just want to take a moment to, to pray. To pray for, for those who are both married and have been married 55 years or engaged, looking to get married, or single and wrestling with singleness in this time. and It's a very deep and personal reality for each of us. And so I just want to surrender and let's submit this to God together. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your word and that you don't shy away from hard questions. Lord, that, that you have spoken with clarity And Lord, that you have acted with a grace and mercy. This reality that as you spoke of with such clarity, your original purpose and design of marriage, you were walking toward Jerusalem to lay down your life because of our hard hearts, because of our sin. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us now in this moment to come to you with humility, not with condemnation, not with shame. Lord, with conviction where needed to surrender to you. Lord, that by your work in our life that you would strengthen us to walk in your ways for the marriages here that are hurting. Where the temptation is nagging at their thoughts to find the exit. Lord, would you fortify their spirits to trust in your purpose and your plan. Lord, where maybe one spouse is pursuing your purposes and yet the other is walking away, would you be their comfort and their peace? Would you bring the person who is walking away to repentance? To humble themselves before you and to one another. Lord, to those who have been hurt by past sins or who have committed sins against others, Lord, would you again bring humility and peace? And Lord, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.